everybody. This is Anna and Brian from Amara World Podcast. And today we have our next guest for XR episode, um, Mugi Kulham, who is the Chief Innovation Officer at Mugi International and as well Innovation Lead for IBC Accelerators. Hi, Mugi. How are you? Hey, good morning, Anna. Good morning, Brian. And hello, listeners. <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you here. And thank you for joining us today. And maybe for our listeners, can you give like a small introduction to yourself and your background? Sure, sure thing. Um, so as Anna said, my name is Muki Colhan. I'm Chief Innovation Officer of my own company, Muki International, which I've been, it's part uh, R&D production house, part executive level production and knowledge sharing and mentoring um, across emerging media technologies, XR era broadcasting industry. And um, I'm also the innovation lead for IBC Accelerators, but also uh, which is uh, a big uh, international broadcasting invention. And it is a, a living R&D program that brings together uh, broadcasters and studios and pair, pairing up with uh, vendors and suppliers and really exploring progressive emerging uh new workflows and technologies that we can all work as a creative productions. So there's a lot of creative technology and synthetic humans and visual effects and game engine, lots of augmented reality, lots of virtual reality, lots and lots of spatial audio, lots of spatial audio. And um, really, really proud to have been working with lots of other really amazing clients over the last few years, like Red Bull, Marvel, Angry Birds. And before that, I was 10, 12 years at MTV and the BBC. And if you think I sound a little bit weird in my accent, it's because I'm originally from the Chicago area and been living in London for 25 plus years with a Hungarian and Austrian heritage and a Northern Irish husband. So that's the Mookie International. <laughs> Lots of running jokes in my business. <laughs> but thanks for having me, guys. Hey, it's, it's great to have you. Um, so it sounds like you've got, you know, quite uh, a varied background. Maybe you could walk us through that, like, you know, beginning with how did you get into media and how did that transition, I guess, towards more of a, like a technology focus into emerging media? So my life history in media and, and the, the career trajectory. Um, if we want to go like super back to the origins, my brother and I used to write and record jingles and ads into a little recorder. Um, so I think like that creative spark of wanting to do kooky production and kooky content started when I was about five or six years old. Um, and as things progress and in, in my high school days, we used to run like a little show and used to record like lots of things. And then I ended up, uh, my university degree is actually broadcast journalism and theater production. So I actually did uh, go on to accidentally do what I was loving <laughs> from a very, very early age. Um, and then when you get out of uni, especially like in the 90s, you're not quite sure where you're going to end up. And um, it led me working in uh, across comedy clubs uh, in St. Louis in the States uh, before I came to London and lots of production. And, uh, and that was building up lots of experience in working with talent, uh, working with content, working with forward-facing PR. I was working a lot in radio. Um, at the time, and writing lots and lots of scripts uh, with my brain, no AI, no AI to help with any scripts for anyone back then, and uh, and was working a little bit with with um, MTV in the states, and then was a was lucky enough to 
get over to London and um, worked in uh, the MTV UK team. So at the time, uh, in the late 90s, there were there was only one MTV. And then when they started to make their regional channels and, and uh, were were existing around uh, with UK and the Nordics and Germany and Italy and Spain, I think. And then with that came the launch of MTV's first ever websites. And I was really, really, really a life-changing moment for me, turning point in my career when I was hired to be the first executive editor of mtv.co.uk website. So I was able to, I've been a digital nerd. So this is the technology was coming in like late nineties around that dot com boom time as well. And so I was able to launch, uh, the co.uk websites and across MTV2 and bass and dance and hits and all the VH1s. But what I was able to do then is hire teams and um, look at content across the board, work very closely hand in hand with my, um, my technical directors and all of the broadcast teams within the building up in Camden and London. And so we were launching websites, live streaming, um, all the MTV events uh, working very closely hand in hand with the record labels and management and A-list talent across the board. So we were creating everything from uh, a microsite for the Osbournes, which has spawned out of Cribs, if you remember that show, um, you know, to uh, my first live streaming, I think, with a live event was 1999 in Ibiza with Artful Dodger, if anyone was in the like the mini UK drum and bass scene. And we were able to build apps and uh, many micro worlds. We were building 3D worlds for the Osbournes, which were BAFTA nominated for and won lots of awards for. And now some people would call that an M-verse type of world. But but back then, you know, we had message boards and I hired a community manager. And now that was now what we call social media, which is great. And so from the UK MTV um, scene, I was able to move over into the European channels and then lo- looking after 12, then 16 editors around Europe. And then by the time I left, I was the, the first director of digital for MTV International. And I was looking after about 26 or 27 channels and broadband channels, mobile channels, you know, building content across platforms, all focused on the music industry and looking at that emerging media scene and what is the new, what are new types of technology that we can integrate into a fan experience. It's about fan engagement. It's about the artist. It's about doing things no one was doing before. So I was really like privileged to be at MTV, you know, during those golden years where that's where you watch your music video. And then when the YouTubies and MySpacey things and Facebooks started to take off, you know, Viacom was sorting some of their strategies out, but I wanted to kind of be a little bit ahead of the game. And so I uh, resigned on a very positive note because I still liaise with my Viacom and now Paramount. They're still family to me. I was able to start my own company. And like I said, that's part uh, strategy, consultancy, research and development. I still am an executive producer to this day and I will be till I'm 150. Um, And the third part of my business now is what I call knowledge sharing, where I'm able to get up on stage goof around with a microphone, interview amazing people, be interviewed by amazing people like you guys. I do lots of mentoring, especially around gender equality and neurodivergency and uh, new opportunities for 
this generation and whatever generation you are to upskill. Um, I do guest lecturing and keynote speaking and a professional moderator uh, up on stage. So um, I think uh, there's probably lots more to tell, but that's a nutshell right now too. So the folks that I work with nowadays, yeah, it's still, still within kind of like that, that core mix of new technology broadcasting within music and sport and, and really thinking about good strategies that then can be deployed, not just, I never call myself a futurist, I'm more of a nowist. What can we be doing now? How can we collaborate with each other and set ourselves up for future work? That's a very impressive background. And I think <laughs> I think when we... There's a lot of goofing around in the middle of it all. Don't get me wrong. It's not that serious. Well, you have a lot of um, stories to tell probably and a lot of experience. So we appreciate you Lots of stories. That's a bottle of wine, honey. We can, we can meet in real life for all that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's just like when we... I chatted before you even mentioned some like women in immersive tech um yeah. and as well uh like some of the bits with the national gallery yes. or can, can you tell a little bit more about the projects uh like connected to like immersive tech and maybe your current project what are you doing right now absolutely okay so from those three items uh xr projects that i've worked on recently maybe the last couple of years or so and then women in immersive tech, and then what I'm doing now. I'll start with some of the projects that, uh, XR projects that I've been really have loved doing. So I've been working, I would say my first augmented reality project was 2008. And that was through a mobile phone, looking at kind of augmenting layers of retail um, within, within a music industry project. So it was right when I left MTV. Um, within my own business. And of course, that was not able to take off because the devices were not ready yet. Um, in 2015, I was working uh, as an executive digital producer for the BBC's The Voice, uh, which was able to mix lots and lots of cross-platform, every every anything digital and interactive and all the, the game apps. And we were able to make the first uh, virtual reality experience for The Voice, like first-person point of view walking around. And I'm happy to share some photos of me with the uh, the rig on my head was a hard hat with seven GoPro blacks strapped with plastic ties because uh, it was the beginning of all of that production and the right cameras really were not in place yet or they were, but just trying to figure out what are the best tools for whatever you're making. Um, so over the years, I've done lots of um, virtual and augmented reality uh, always layered with spatial audio within, um, you know, broadcasting, media, entertainment, and lots of sport as well been layered in over the last 10 years. The Augmented Gallery, which is the Art, Art of London Augmented Gallery, is a project that I'm so super proud of. We I, I work very closely with an amazing, amazing creative director called Rob Morgan. He is uh, the founder of Playlines. Uh, which is a little mini AI stu AR studio. So I'm a one woman show and then I crew up where I need to, according to whatever project I'm working on, or I, I work on it solo and gives me the flexibility to team up with amazing large companies, corporate companies and small companies and startups and working with Rob Morgan. Um, we will be working together to, well, to, till we're 900 years old. We, uh, make a good little dream team. And so he, we worked previously in 2017 and 18 on a project called um, Consequences, which integrated a, a uh, spatial, spatial audio, choose your own adventure, what we called 
audio AR with an amazing drum and bass artist called Harry Shotta. And uh, we were, we were taking that to, uh, it was able to integrate that and kind of tour that with folks like Digital Catapult, Surroundscapes, and um, Raindance, uh, working really closely with Bose as well. And that led Rob and I to stick on a couple different partnerships. And we won a residency with the National Gallery X, which is a collaboration with the National Gallery, one of the biggest museums in London. and. King's College London, which is one of the world's most famous universities in London. So King's uh, National Gallery X uh, residency was a really huge honor and privilege where we were able, we had a space to ourselves, So we would have had kind of our, our own gallery to make immersive experiences uh, and, and curate it and exhibit. So we were going to have an installation of consequences and an installation of curated augmented reality art gallery and this would have been right next to the the national gallery total dream gig it was going to mix in you know music sport art everything we love to do uh augmented reality a bit of virtual reality and spatial audio layered throughout all the projects and that was january 2020 now (laughs) we all know what happened then so with the pandemic basically canceling everything we were doing. We had to pivot and then started to create some research and development with King's College and National Gallery, which then got commissioned eventually throughout lockdown and into 2021 to become the Augmented Gallery. And what that project was, was something so, so special. Um, And again, as an executive producer, you're working on things end to end, looking at every single piece of detail and every tiny, 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 tiny little detail from voiceover artists to the budgets to how this looks and feels. And most importantly, when you're working on an XR related location-based experience, the number one thing that a lot of folks still need to put in the front of their mind is accessibility. So can my hearing impaired friend enjoy this? Can my visual sight impaired friend enjoy this? Can my friend in a wheelchair enjoy this? And so we were able to combine, um, uh, there was about tw- it was a national gallery, national portrait gallery, uh, uh, the Royal Academy, and the Sky Arts. So Sky is a major UK broadcaster, and they have a program, a separate channel called Sky Arts, and they have the National Portrait Artist of the Year competition. And so the Heart of London Business Alliance and Premier PR agency commissioned us to make this location-based experience during 2021. And it had four false starts into to trying to launch due to lockdown one, lockdown two, lockdown three, lockdown four. But what that was was a collaboration with these museums to create a location-based, site-specific, almost like part walking gallery, part choose-your-own-adventure art gallery, part um, discovery map, and up around through the museums, up through Piccadilly, around German Street, if you're familiar with London at all. It's basically in the heart of London. The whole purpose was to create footfall for London uh, to bring people back into London. So it was safe. It was free. It was completely accessible. And it was a mix of, you'd see a QR code. So it was a, what we call code-based um, uh, launching uh, images off of a code and audio off of a code-based augmented reality. So this is 2020 and 2021 now. AR is advanced a million times over, which is a whole other podcast. We could just just, just do augmented reality. Um, but what that implemented, you scan, you've got the app, you scan the QR code and the painting or artwork appears at scale in 3D 
and you have the option to read about it or listen to uh, two different audio tracks of a curator for a little bit more educational, uh, in-depth knowledge of that that art, or a comedian. And we hired James A. Castor and Paul Sinha and, and a couple other folks to give like a every person's point of view and and um, some light a lighter touch on what the art was. And that resulted in three extended commissions into 2021 and 2022 uh, with the National Gallery. Um, we did it inside with My Little Pony launch. So you were able to do like a uh, treasure hunt style and find and s- do image break based uh, augmented reality that launched. You have to search for horses inside the National Gallery. You'd be surprised how paintings there are of horses. So you'd go and find a ho- painting of a horse, scan it, and then up would appear the new My Little Pony movie with a voiceover from Selena Gomez. And so we worked with the talent in that case. So all my years of working in comedy clubs and at MTV, me working with, you know, A-list talent in a voiceover booth or, or hiring people to be integrated into our XR experiences, you know, it's like blinking for me. I don't, you know, we're here to make them look good and we're here to do something kind of cool. So constantly, constantly think about a fan experience. Um, moving over into the women in immersive tech. Um, I've just been really proud to say I've been made the UK ambassador for women in immersive technologies. It is a nonprofit that's been going since 2016 and I was part of it when there were about like eight of us. So I know the founders really, really well. And the reason why that was launched was because we would be looking around these conferences and saying, why am I the only female on stage? Why is there a gender imbalance in tech? Why is there only one woman working on that project amongst 40 men? And why is this person who is um, who identifies as a woman or is a transgender not able to be recognized? And so Women in Immersive Tech was formed to really endorse and promote and create a really strong community of women supporting other women and those who identify as women. And also, uh, you know, male allies really, really, really coming on board and, and now corporate companies and really amazing programs just recognizing gender equality, recognizing, um, you know, not just at a conference, but also in the workplace and upskilling. And so it's a great community that was formed on Facebook. And now you can find that on LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and all the usual places available to you. Um, Yeah. And for the women in tech, do you think this gender inequality, is it changing right now? Do you feel that there are more... um, kind of representation of um, gender cynics are when you're going to some of the companies? I do. Yeah, I do. Uh, it's still it's still a way to go, I think, from a general cultural and society perspective. I think the difference is now than, it, than from 2016 when we were first, when it was first being launched, was now there are many, many, many um, groups and nonprofits and other organizations like Dell's got a, Dell's got women in tech and there's four or five other, you know, women in broadcasting, girls who code. Women, I could probably list about 25 off the top of my head, but I won't because that's that's a whole other podcast. We'll do a gender equality podcast another time. Um, but it, I think what's changed is the observation that change still needs to continue. And uh, in workplaces, it's I think there's still a imbalance and that's not necessarily – um, I, I do see tipping points, but even if I'm on a call with a, a major corporation, 
uh, and I'm looking around this call and I'm still like, there's two females on the call amongst like 30 men. And that's not the fault of the men in front of me on the call. I do think there needs to be a little bit more proactiveness, what I call the top and tail levels of so you know, there's now chief people officers and all the HR teams and people working at the top, the C-suite levels opening the doors, need to open more doors and provide those opportunities for females and those who identify as females and, and transgender to create these opportunities in the workplace while they're already there. But at the same time, look to work closer with, you know, universities who are making those opportunities available. So it's all, it's all good starting, you know, like where you are at like a grassroots level and, and creating awareness, but then there needs to be a continued path to that awareness and make those and the, the businesses and society working hand in hand. It's, you know, I think, uh, I think we could probably meet this time once a year and check on where that trajectory is going <laughs> or look, look to places like, women in immersive tech and other women in XR in, in the States. And, and, you know, there's Euro immersive and, and the gather versus who, who do really make an effort, have all female panels or have, you know, very gender, gender equality sessions. Um, one of my clients, IBC, which I can talk about in just a second, um, has done an amazing job the last couple of years. So it's like South by Southwest, AWE, really, 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 really making sure they're doing their very best to book like 50-50. We call it 50-50. So on stage to have 50%, at least uh, females, um, you know, diverse ethnic backgrounds, people you might not necessarily see on stage all the time um, to kind of, you know, have that tipping point. Uh, in our industry to see to see more faces and new faces on stage too <laughs> yeah i think that's a fantastic answer to that i think you've been you've been teasing us for a while with you know, all these uh, hints about you know what's going on currently can could you tell us a bit more about yeah the, the projects maybe they are more recent and perhaps you know you you've kind of mentioned you know talked a bit about hardware back in the day is there any particular yes. hardware you're taking advantage of now that you think is really going to elevate the experience to the next level? Oh gosh. Again, that's all we could have a hardware podcast. Okay. So the projects that I've had, um, the last, uh, I'm coming into my fourth year of having the IBC accelerators as a client. And, um, again, uh, so after I did the augmented gallery well, during lockdown, I had five different clients because I was so worried about losing the work. We, no one knew what was happening. It was a pandemic. It was horrible and scary. So I was able to kind of retain some of that work into when the world opened up again. And IBC uh, has been one of those really, really, really amazing opportunities where um, leading the accelerator uh, um, program. It's so, the, so IBC, just for anyone not familiar, is called the International Broadcasting Convention. It's coming up to its 61st year, I believe, and it's or the 60th year uh, as of as of February 2024. Uh, it's the largest media production technology show in the world, and its roots are based off of broadcasting technology, creative technology, 
um, you know, workflows, visual effects, and it's become more and more creative over the years. And I got involved with that because I did a keynote for them in 2015 and 2016 and was part of the content steering groups and diversity inclusion committees. And when the accelerated program started, uh, I was able to work on it. It was like, yes, right away. So what the accelerators are is the full name being the um, IBC Accelerators Media Innovation Program. And what it is, is a living, breathing R&D program where it's uh, provides an opportunity for champions who are traditionally broadcasters, large film studios like Lionsgate or Paramount, uh, academia, um, larger tech companies to propose challenges to the industry and really talk about where are these pain points? Where can we improve our production? How can we improve our creative production? And that could be around cloud or IP or streaming, 5G, 6G, edge compute, spatial computing, and, the, and layer it over with a lot of the progressive technologies, which are my vertical, the verticals of my business around, again, you know, the use of game engine into visuals and visual effects into animation, 3D assets, um, synthetic humans, digital twins, uh, where, where we are able to really understand how to be using these tools in front of us. And of course, language models and machine learning and AI, which has been around for a long, long, long time. But what's changed now with these tools are the speed at which things can help you. And so we're all kind of exploring together. So the Accelerator program enables champions to kind of set out a challenge and um, applications come in after IBC. We kind of whittle down around 30 or so into about a dozen that then get pitched at Kickstart Day um, at the IET, which is the Institute of Engineering Technology which is at the Savoy in London. So we're having a showcase there on the 6th of March where um, the champions will and the projects that have gone through the pitch phase get to do like a five minutes Dragon's Den style pitch. And then uh, the folks, about 200 folks or so in the room, start to pair up what projects they want to do. But the champions do the, the call to what their, their pain points are. They set out a challenge um, Within the, these teams that form, um, only eight projects go through for the year. So they do the call and then onboard participants who are a vendor or supplier that step up the, to the table to provide these solutions. And then when the eight projects are chosen by myself and my the, the founder of the program and innovation co-lead, Mark Smith, and our team of, of, um, of, of internal panel review, um, they the team start to form with synergies and they can, it's all about fast track, very looking at these pain points and it's a living sand, R and D sandbox. There's no wrong answers. It's about exploring the solutions and it's a very short sprint between April and September. So it's a little bit park, part hackathon, part executive level think tank, parts R and D labs. And what one executive said to me on stage once was a part therapy group too. Cause every week, the teams will meet and they're able to really openly discuss things. And so what we find in these projects is that, and these teams that start to form are not only what I love to see commercial relationships develop and business relationships develop, but friendships. Um, I think we've only been invited to one wedding or a baby christening, but over the, like coming into my fourth year working on these programs, um, wow. it, you know, we're able to see, like what you would on paper, you'd be like, I thought they're enemies. So we have projects where Unreal and Unity are in one project and AMD and 
you know, NVIDIA or one project had Google, Microsoft, and Amazon all working in the same project. So it's about the open learnings. And then we showcase it at IBC. So we're on stage, um, on the innovation stage and at the accelerator zone. And then the process continues and we're able to showcase it. So I do work on strategies with a few other clients. Um, you know, Red Bull's one of them. And I'm really uh, excited, love, love, love working with Red Bull and the emerging media departments there and and uh, looking at, you know, current in, cur- current innovations. And um, I really don't call things trends because trends is something that is short-lived. So it's kind of developing strategies and a few other clients, which I can kind of go on about there too, but I will, I will, I will uh, have another rest there because <laughs> we can go on and on and on. Yeah. Probably we can have like another <laughs> special episode for I just named team podcast for you right there. <laughs> <laughs> and do you have any hopes and predictions for the future of XR as a field? And maybe like your own projects? Do you have any hopes for this year? What will bring it for you? Yes, I will tie that in with Brian's second question about the devices, which is uh, where what's what what I've seen change so much over the last, you know, even 20 years, we can be as creative as we want to, you can have the best workflows, you can have the best teams in place. Um, and I'm talking about media and entertainment, the media entertainment industry is my in, my industry. And that's, again, you know, music, sport, culture, you can have the best ideas, the best team creating the best content. But the number one thing you're thinking about is who is this for? Who are you making this for? How will they enjoy it? So what has changed everything? What what changes in our processes and our thinking is the end uh, consumption. That's a device. Um, the connectivity that goes with those devices will change everything. So we know, you know, there's the Quest, there's Apple Vision Pro as new devices, which will, is only 1.0 right now. I want to, I want to, wait for the 2.0. So when we're talking about the devices and the accessibility that comes with these devices and the connectivity, what that does is open up the doors to be inclusive and accessible. You know, even if you're living in remote areas to urban areas, you know, gives people the chance to, to be a part and enjoy the experiences even more. Right. Well, uh, I don't know if, you know, everything that we've done is going to give I mean, do you justice for like the amount of experience and the wealth of stories that you have, to be honest, but I'm afraid we are um, reaching time. So I'm going to have to, you know, leave the last uh, few minutes for you to, you know, have any last words for our listeners, any advice for anyone, maybe trying to get into the the XR field or, you know, Mm -hmm. just trying to explore this sort of new media. And also how can they find out more about sort of your projects and how can they get in touch if they, you know, want to connect? Oh, cool. I, I think uh, that's my favorite question is always like, how can people get involved and how can people learn more? It's There's nothing. I, I love being able to share knowledge and, and bring people together and, and make these introductions to people. But I think if you're listening to this and you're new to what extended reality is or what XR is, um, technically no one should really be new if you have a mobile phone and you know about filters and on Instagram and doing TikTok filters and what happens with a if you've ever played Pokemon Go I think we're now in an age of democratization so I'm excited that there's not many people that don't have not experienced XR but if you're new and interested in production and uh, getting involved in the industry as a profession 
and you're just curious and want a little taster, I think the best advice I can give you, or want a, a little taster of advices I can give you is, you know, join things like Women in Immersive Tech, join things like Meetup, listen to podcasts like these, go to Meetups in person if you can, talk to other, uh, if you're creative, talk to technical people and get to know how it works under the hood, like developers and architects, um, backend architects and coders and if you are interested in the technical side of things, always talk to someone who's creative, like the designers and the writers and um, visual, the visual artists that, that exist out there. Um, and sign up to programs that allow you to be a mentee and be mentored by professionals in the field because they will be able to share their life story <laughs> with you and hopefully introduce you to the right people and get involved. But you know, things that you can also be volunteering for meetups and attending festivals and attending conferences and volunteer your time. That way you can see lots and lots of keynotes on stage and get involved and, and even just to observe and help out and uh, be part of these communities even remotely. So even if you're feeling shy, you can still join these groups and communities through LinkedIn and Facebook and everywhere else that you can find. Um, networking communities um, as well too. But I think just keep asking questions and keep, keep, uh, keep thinking about it and uh, yeah, networking. <laughs> I hope that's a good answer. Yeah, it's a great one. And if, if you can add like um, the best way to connect to you, maybe. Oh yes. Well, it's very easy to find me because, <laughs> um, LinkedIn, there's a lot of action on LinkedIn. So just Mookie Culhan, M-U-K-I-K-U-L-H-A-N on LinkedIn. Um, I'm a little bit behind on my Instas and, and uh, Twitter X's, but that's Mookie approved at Mookie approved, which is just like you guys, <laughs> Mookie approved. Uh, that's pretty easy to find me. Um, you'll see, uh, different places I'm speaking at coming up. Uh, you'll see a lot of that on LinkedIn, I think. So I, I apologize in advance if I'm getting uh, um, cluttering up your algorithms there. No, I'm not going to apologize. See, I've lived in England till I'm apologizing for no reason at all. Don't, I'm not apologizing. Come to the conferences. Come say hi to me. I am very approachable and I'm so happy to speak to anybody. If you're listening to this, uh, come find me at any of the conferences I'm at or any of the meetups that I'm hosting. Um, Soho Media Club's another one, Augmented Reality Meetup. I'll be at Render, Mobile World Congress, South by Southwest, Media Production Technology Show, and of course, IBC in September in Great. Amsterdam. Thank you so much for doing this episode with us. And I, I really enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. <laughs> it's, it's been a pleasure Thank having you. you. Yeah, it definitely should. It was good to talk to you both and uh, look forward to meeting in real life. Yeah. Thank you to all our listeners. And yeah. Thanks, everyone. Have a good day. Bye bye. Thank you.